and bonjour high on this good Friday. After two hours of conversation with Archbishop Charles Chaput about his new book, Things Worth Dying For, I thought it would be appropriate to end our Good Friday program, special edition. Salem is off on Good Friday, so we pre-record this Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn. And I just wanted to talk with Larry about what he thinks about the role of religion in a university is, was, and ought to be. And I was moved to ask you to do that by one of the observations in Archbishop Chaput's new book is about Roger Scruton, uh, who I don't know much about. And I went and read about him. And uh, grammar school, Jesus College, Birkbeck, uh, fascinating guy, and, and but always in a sort of continuing conversation about faith and learning. And I'm sure that goes on at Hillsdale. So just broadly speaking, how do you approach that question of the, the role of faith in a university setting? Uh, well, first of all, I knew Roger Scruton really well. For a you long did? Time. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was, you know, I gave him an honorary degree. He was a commencement speaker here one time. And he was, a, he was an awesome human being. He was, uh, he was knighted by Margaret Thatcher. Uh, he, he became very controversial because he's in that camp of us misfits who believe that things are real. <laughs> and we can't just uh, make them whatever we want. And he's much concerned with, uh, so Roger's a good place to start. Um, uh, or go to pagan philosophy where you find the same thing as in Roger. Arist- the thought of Aristotle, a pagan, culminates in God. Uh, you can you can draw a line through the works of Aristotle, and and there's, you know, there's, He's the first philosopher to try to explain everything. And he's, uh, my friend Mark Blitz in Claremont says the second one is Hegel. <laughs> Aristotle did a better job. Uh, what about Aquinas? And, he skipped right over Aquinas. Well, Assum- I mean, Assume is pretty big. First, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. And, uh, uh, but he, so the ethics starts out with our good, with the good and our good. And the metaphysics ends with God. And God is the perfection of all good. And, and so the academic task is to understand and understand the things around you, the things you can see, the things you can know. And you soon learn that those things are arranged in a hierarchy. Uh, uh, here's how it works in Aristotle. Uh, the word good and the word being are synonyms in Aristotle. That means if a thing exists, it is a good thing. If a thing is good, it exists. If it doesn't, if it's not good in any sense, it doesn't exist. And you can, you know, that's just, you can understand that in a simple way. Uh, I love to use the water bottle because they're always around. Take a plastic water bottle and cut the bottom out of it. What is it now? Hmm. And turn it upside down and take the cap off. Now you have a funnel. Right, yep. and as it loses the being of the water bottle, it, it loses the good of it. As it gains the being of the funnel, it gains the good of it. And so you start with that, and then the second thing. And, and by the way, all this happens in one paragraph at the beginning of Aristotle's Ethics, Chapter One, Book One. And he says, "But the the the, the ends of things are various, and the kinds of good are various." 
And he says, for example, uh, anything that's produced by art, and what, what, what you mean by art is much broad, broader than what we think today. We think of fine art as art. But art is like the word artificial. Art is anything we make. And, and you know, we're the only things in nature that can make something uh, new, something of our own discretion or volition. And he says, All right, that's an interesting thing about art, because when you make something, the activity exists for the something. And that means the activity is subordinate to the something. And then he says these things that we make are arranged in a hierarchy. And the example he gives in that first paragraph is uh, there are bridal makers. Well, they don't, they, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that if they didn't want the bridal. But they wouldn't want the bridal unless they wanted horsemanship. Right. And they wouldn't want horsemanship unless they want victory in war. And when you get to victory in war, you get to an ultimate good, something that's good for its own sake, something that everybody wants and needs. Health is like that. Intelligence is like that. Wealth is like that. And so those have a kind of dignity. But you can add all of those up, and you won't, uh, you could still be miserable having all those. Yes. And so then, what else do you need? Right? And that means, and, you know, we, did, we just talked about Ben Franklin, and uh, uh, he, he, he was. You know, I it, it's it's uh, what it's idiosyncratic, but I think he's very like Aristotle because he's always talking about the moral virtues and how you got to behave yourself, and that means if you do that, you can be a properly operating human being. But what what all that culminates in Aristotle, and not in the same way, but I think in Franklin too, is when you really get your soul in order then you can think about the best things. And thinking is better than doing, and eternal things are better than things that are transitory. And so thinking about the eternal things, and, and they're arranged in a hierarchy. And the highest of them is understood to be beauty. And beauty, is the Christian expression for seeing God is beatitude, yep. over the word beauty. Now, now, we're talking, though, on Good Friday, and yeah. there is a old Catholic tradition, which I just discussed with the Archbishop, that um, it's, it's not practiced much anymore, that between the hours of noon and three, one did not do anything. One sat and contemplated and thought about the sacrificial crucifixion of Christ, not the resurrection, but the suffering. And I'm not sure that's done anywhere outside of perhaps Thomas Aquinas college in uh, California. I doubt it's mandated at, at uh, Hillsdale, but that whole idea, it, it's almost antithetical to the modern university. And, and that's why I'm wondering what happened when all of the universities in America began really as Christian endeavors and none of them are anymore. Well, look, so we've lost this. We, that's right. A connection is broken. I just described the reason why classic philosophy and how classic philosophy is interested in God. Now, look at it from the Christian point of view. First of all, Jesus is identified as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is what God has to say. But it come to find out, speech and reason are the defining human characteristics. And, and Jesus is then the perfect man, because he possesses those capacities in the full, 
and no vices. And so you can just see uh, if you're trying to put together a perfect creature, uh, except not a creature, a begotten, then that's what it would look like, see. And then because Jesus is the Word, and, and also we, we, it's a very important thing to understand about Christianity, it does not give rise to a political system. In, if you read the Old Testament, which is you know, great reading, uh, it establishes a polity with laws in detail, huge numbers of them, right? Well, Christianity doesn't do that. It doesn't appoint who gets to be the ruler. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And that's one of the reasons why Christianity is open to thought. And that means that for, you know, for a millennium, from, from what, Oxford and Bologna's 1085, University of Bologna's the first university in Italy, I think that's 1085. And from then until, you know, 1930, let's say, universities thought roughly the same way about their Yes. Work. And any old university, and especially, in, no, all of them, especially in America, though, they always have uh, purposes relating to God and faith and purposes relating to truth and reason and the perfection of truth, which, as I say, in the pagan philosophers is identified as God. So those, th- those things, Hillsdale College is a, you know, it happens to be a very well-founded college, 175 years ago, in the middle of the 19th century, before, just before the Civil War. Now, what, what are these? These guys are, the people who founded Hillsdale College, they're a bunch of free will Baptists, classically educated, very devout uh, Christian patriots. We'll come back and pick up on that key combination, Christian patriots, because it's also at the heart of Archbishop Chaput's book, Things Worth Dying For. In a well-formed country, you'll have a well-formed patriotism, and it will be grounded and not antithetical to faith. Stay tuned. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway on Good Friday. There's a lot of spin on the news out there. Where do you hear the truth? Right here. As soon as Hugh Hewitt returns, this is the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hilltale Dialogue is underway on Good Friday with Dr. Leon, president of Hilltale College. We're talking about the university and faith. I am so struck, um, Larry, by the fact that Archbishop is such a scrutin fan, and I'd never heard of him, didn't know anything about him, and you gave him an honorary degree. I, I, I love coincidences like that, but he also went to Jesus College, which is one of those things that sticks in my mind. I, I know you're not a Cambridge guy, but but that they would name a college Jesus College at Cambridge really says it all about the ancient universities of England, and you were saying of Bologna, but that just got blown up. Does it ever get rebuilt? Well, it... it uh, so, first of all, those relationships between reason and faith, which are particularly uh, involved in Christianity, because Christianity is the most open religion to the discoveries of the mind. It invites them, right? Uh, 
Professor Jaffa, my teacher, used to say, uh, Moses Maimonides, well, in order, Al-Farabi, Moses Maimonides, and Thomas Aquinas were rough contemporaries. <laughs> and, and the ones who had to be most careful, what he said, he might get beheaded, was Al-Farabi, an Arab. And the next most careful, more free but not free, was Moses Maimonides, because there was an orthodoxy, he's a Jew. And then Thomas Aquinas, very free. And, and uh, you know, Thomas Aquinas believed in freedom of religion. So that set of relationships where, where you know, it's, it, if you, in my opinion, if you get, your, get the right education, you'll see how the Christian tradition and the philosophic tradition both point toward God and they both raise an, they both raise questions about and deliver an account of the fundamental ordering of things, right? And and today, you know, this radical ideology that's sweeping, you know, the ruling class. Not it's not sweeping America; it's sweeping the ruling class. And there is now an identifiable one of those. And they're nihilistic and they're angry. And and they think that anything that we don't make is is uh, to be persecuted, destroyed. Well, but look at it another way, though. I mean, uh, we all have a sense of the good. Everybody does. We're the being that can blush and be ashamed, and that by itself raises the question: What are the things that we mustn't that that, that are not worthy of any shame? What are the things that are noble and beautiful and good? In Philippians, there's that wonderful thing in the fourth chapter, and I, I always get the adverbs wrong, or the adjectives wrong, but it, it doesn't matter. Uh, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are true, fix your mind on those things. Now, that's a meaningful statement from the point of view of faith and from the point of view of thought. It's interesting, that is in Ben Franklin's autobiography, mentioned as his favorite text. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, or of good report, if there be any virtue or any praise, think on these things. Yes. Uh, it's his favorite verse, too. So you and Franklin, maybe you're being influenced there. But uh, the, the th- that is an admonition to study, right, in Christianity. And, the, arch- and the archbishop is very emphatic in things worth dying for. The Christian tradition is a studious tradition. That's why universities sprang up. That's were- right. And see that if you abandon that, then you're you know you abandon you know as for, uh, we're, we're we're talking about Franklin these days and. Uh, you and I are we? I can't remember whether the first show we taped one. It'll be next week, but next that's okay. Week. Anyway, so I'll I'll uh, uh, anticipate. Franklin believed in self improvement. You know, we we self help books. You know, do it yourself. You know, make yourself better books. Right? They just sell like hotcakes, and there's always a dozen of them around. What is that urge? Right? Where, where does that come from? And see, dogs don't think like that, they can't. No, they right? can't. We'll come and right back. and toward God. He's, he's going to answer that question for you, where that comes from, because there are an awful lot of those books in every bookstore in America. Stay tuned, America. It's the Hilltale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arnold. All things Hilltale at hilltale.edu. 
non-stop action-packed information blitz the hugh hewitt show is coming right back welcome back america good friday edition of the hugh hewitt show concluding half hour with dr larry arn about the connection between christianity and the university and uh, thinking about ultimate things Dr. Arn, you did a very radical thing at Hillsdale. You built a chapel, and not just a chapel, a beautiful chapel. I don't know if you're having Good Friday services in it or not, but it's radical uh, in that it's very uh, pre-modern. It's got nothing to do with what colleges do. I don't know if any other college in the United States, not Catholic, has built a church on it in 100 years. What do you think? 50 years at least. Yeah, well, the the uh, the last uh, classical chapel, traditional-looking chapel, built in America is in, in in Boston. I can't remember what college it's at. Maybe it's Boston College. It was commenced in uh, 1926, so that means almost 100 years ago. And then there's ours, and ours is three years old. And yeah, we did that. And and uh, you know, you what are we doing for? Easter? Well, first of all, we're singing Handel's Messiah, the choir and the orchestra, over the Easter weekend. And we just had last Sunday night Coral Evensong. It's a tremendous thing. Big crowd. So, yeah, this we worship at Hillsdale College. Hillsdale's interesting in this regard. It's, uh, you know, it's always been a very devout college, but it never required a faith statement to attend. And that's fun. That leads to some fun, because... I like to say, we got Catholics running out our ears here. And that means probably a third of them to 40% of them are Catholic. And that means most are Protestants. And uh, I, I like to say we have a rule about that. We do not have the wars of the Reformation at Hillsdale College, although we have the arguments. Of the the arguments. Well, I, that's why I think, I, I hope you will find when this is shut down, is all done, the archbishop on campus at some point, because he, he would love to, he has an argument about the Reformation that is really quite thorough in its uh, destructive consequences. He also upholds Moore and Fisher uh, against your church, um, uh, the Church of England, and uh, as being paradise. He also closes with friendship, which I know you will like for your Aristotelian reasons. But it's uh, it's remarkable that the Protestants and the Catholics can be friends. It's like the ranchers and the farmers can be friends in Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, it's, and you know, uh, I, I was very attracted to John Paul II and his successor, Benedict. And they were, you know, partners in crime for 30 years before they became the, the pontiff, the pontiffs. And they did a lot of thinking. And uh, John Paul was especially good at laying out the, the elements of mere Christianity. And it's, it's, uh, there are two things that, that, that are conditions of Christianity making the peace in the world that it intends. And one is mere Christianity. Yeah, you you know, we're all worshiping the same God best yes. as we can. And you Catholics think you're better, and I just think you have sloppy services. We're just more disciplined in what we believe, that's all. Everyone's got to sign on to the same basic structure. It might not be sung as well as a good Protestant church. but, but You know, one thing you learned at Hillsdale is 
there's a there's a kind of a movement at Hillsdale among the students from uh, evangelical aw shucks Jesus I just want to say kind of praying to uh, orthodoxy and that's because we read old books and kids are attracted to it and so there's probably a net gain here over the course of four years from you know most kids are still evangelical by the way you don't you don't have to discard that but religious services become more formal and and uh, that's you know and uh, you know, so they end up in the Church of England, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. And it's, you know, I mean, I, I married into that church and admire it very much. And Catholicism would be fine by me and by my wife, too. But we're not, uh, you know, I, that one reason I like John Paul is he, you know, he, he wrote several really great books that were sold in airport bookstores. It's yes. very popular, right? And. The point of them often was, you know, humanity is one, and the longing for God is one, and those who identify God as Christ are especially one. So that's the first thing. For Christianity, you can't have uh, religious, uh, you have to have religious freedom, right? Yes. And the second thing is, this understanding that uh, Christianity actually does have a political teaching and must and that is and that's in the new testament all over the place uh, offsetting the passages where it said the authorities are of god and you got to do what they say uh there are many others where orders are given to the apostles and other disciples to stop preaching the gospel and they refuse see to death and fighting and that's, that's because the duties to the ultimate are superior to the duties to the, to the earthly. And in America, we take on, if we understand our country properly, we take on a superior kind of lo- loyalty to our country. This is very present in the, in the Greek-speaking Baptist preachers who started uh, Hillsdale College that... You know, we dedicated our oldest building on the 4th of July. And that's because the regime of civil and religious liberty is the one indicated by the Christian faith. Yes, yeah, and, and defended. Um, there were religious wars, which our, uh, our fellow citizens who are atheists like to point to all the time, and it was a terrible period of time, but it passed, and it's over and there is not anyone who wants to go to war between Protestantism and Catholicism now. It, it, it was a birthing pain of intellectualism. But the, there, is no, there is no call among Christians for a religiously ordered state. Or if there is, it's a marginal. There is no demand for uh, conformity. No, I haven't seen a politician in America make that demand in my lifetime. Yeah, and... Well, you know, actually, the reverse of it is made all the time now. Yes. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, we, we, we've entered a period, and, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. It started in the university. Uh, I mean, in the, the, the woke latest radicalism, right? And that is, you are physically killing me when you say things that disturb me. And therefore, I get to tell you to shut up. 
and disgrace you and get you fired and everything else, banned yep. from the campus. Yep. And so that's not, you know, that's, that's not the way to figure out anything. And, and uh, that's, you know, so, you know, our speech rules at Hillsdale College, uh, you can say anything you want if you can say it in a civil and academic manner. Uh, that's our first, that's our speech code. It's very old here. We don't, we don't adopt the Chicago principles because ours are older than, older and better. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I once had a guy offer it and said, I'll give you a million dollars if you'll do that. And I said, I won't do it. And he said, you won't do it. I said, no, I wouldn't do it for 10 million. And he said, why? And I said, because I didn't come here to disrupt the highly successful and hallowed institutions of Hillsdale College. Uh, well put. Well I done. came here to restore them. And he gave us the money anyway. <laughs> well, now, I am curious about when you undertook the, the construction of a church in the middle of the campus, if your supporters were scandalized or celebratory or, oh, that's just another ARN project. What did they think about that? Oh, it's a big deal. It's very popular. I mean, you know... Any anytime any you know one of the rules of life is anytime you do a big thing some people won't like it uh, and you know you have to get used to that but the truth is are are the supporters of the college they're more numerous and more enthusiastic than they've ever been and you know we have a lot of people who are uh, libertarian leaning right and and not Christian at all. There's no, they're not offended here in any way, and we wouldn't have it if they were. Oh, and I, I always tell Tim Sandifer is the best law student I ever had, and he's a stone-cold atheist and wanted to argue with me about it all the time until I finally got, you know, I'm, he wasn't really arguing, he was telling, and so we just stopped doing it. But, he, you know, he, he thrived at Hillsdale. There is no faith test. But how do you teach religion then? Well, it's, uh, you know, you teach, you teach it through the two strains, right? Human thought. What is the best that humans have thought? And of course, what is the worst that humans have thought? And how do you tell the difference? Well, the best that humans have thought raised the question of God, which, you know, like uh, Tim Sandifer, whom I know, and is a Hillsdale graduate and a very bright young man, he's very agitated about the question of God, isn't he? Yes, he is, all (laughs) the time, always. It's important to him, right? But it's important to everybody. And, and then the second thing is, you, you know, we're a Christian college, right? So you teach the elements of the Christian faith. And then we have, way, we have formal practice of them here on the campus in our beautiful new chapel. But nothing is required. No, we, we don't. Uh, respect is required. Respect for the principles of the college is required of all. But respect doesn't mean you can't argue with it. And so, you know, uh, the Catholics, we laughed about this on this show one time. My house, where I live, the college's house, is directly between the chapel and the little Catholic uh, house around behind. So I'm sort of surround, uh, surrounded on Tuesdays and Thursdays when they have Catholic Mass. <laughs> and I go sometimes. And it's big, you know, they get three, four hundred kids in there. And, uh, and then, you know, the. Inner varsity, which includes both Catholics and Protestants, yes. Protestants, they're Thursday night and they get four or five hundred, and there are prayer meetings all over the campus every day, in every wing of every dormitory, all the time, and uh, and so and see, no nobody needs to be offended by that, right? 
And another thing to understand about the college is, our college, is that it really is a private college. That means we don't take the money from the government. And that means that nobody is being forced to do anything here. And that's a key to success. When we come back, though, we're going to talk about how long it can endure. Because it is one of the uh, unfortunate realities that the Archbishop deals with is that the trend is not good in the United States writ large for religious liberty. And I wonder whether or not you see the same thing in Michigan. Don't go anywhere, America. The Hillsdale Dialogue on Good Friday concludes after this. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back on our special Friday edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show. We began with Archbishop Chaput. We are now closing with Dr. Larry Arn, the book by the Archbishop, Things Worth Dying For. And I'm sure Larry would say the college is worth dying for as well. Uh, And it's the Archbishop's message that things are going very radical in the United States very quickly. And that Christians, for the first time in a long time in America, ought to expect to suffer for believing in what they do. Uh, Persecution in one form or another, as his diocese has been persecuted uh, by social services of Philadelphia before the Supreme Court. And my answer was, the one great thing we've gotten done in, in my 30 years of public life is to get a constitutionalist majority on the Supreme Court of six, who I believe are attached to the Free Exercise Clause, and that, that and the First Amendment, uh, freedom of speech. And so I think colleges like yours will be protected, but I don't think he's that optimistic. On whose side are you? Well, uh, you know, first, first on that court thing, you know, Hamilton argues the courts are relatively weak compared to the others, and of course, the left has got a court passing plan. You know, things like that. They do changing that majority, right? Uh, so there's no certain safety there. Uh, but he, here's where the safety is. You ask yourself. So the, the recur to the major prophet Winston Churchill. Uh, why did? Why did he think in 1940 that Britain could meet could beat the Germans? And there are two reasons. Because you know Britain had maybe 15 divisions in its army, and Germany had close to 300. Right? It just and the air for their uh, German air force was bigger. Britain was alone. Why did he think that? Well, he thought that because he he believed that if you if you think something can't work, you should have the faith to believe that it won't work. And so, look, look at the, just look at the history of the Soviet Union. It, it was just all-powerful. A complete murderous regime, killing millions of people, and employing millions more to spy on every word of every person. Uh, the children taken from their mothers and fathers and taught to on their mothers and fathers, right? A complete totalitarian system. And after 60 years and after untold damage that'll be centuries in repairing, it collapsed of its own weight. Because it isn't good. Right. And good and things that are not good have no being of their own. They're only good things spoiled. And so this thing that we're doing right now this denial of reason, this holding people guilty for things that they did not do and never intended, that this can't prevail. Sooner or later, it's going to stop. 
and it's weak. And, you know, I, I, there's a really great uh, essay by my friend Angelo Cotavilla in Tablet Magazine, recent days. And what he argues is the country's going to fragment for a while because they can't, in, you know, just look at Ron DeSantis, right? But just look at Hillsdale, Michigan. Hillsdale, Michigan, the town, doesn't operate the same way as Ann Arbor, Michigan, right? right. Because the climate of opinion is different here, and, and uh, it affects everything, right? And, and, uh, and so are they actually going to force the American people out of their churches? Are they going to drag them out in the streets the way the Chinese have done and beat them for, going, for having a prayer service? Are they going to do that? Because I don't think the American people are even approximately ready for that. I don't. I, I think that uh, a substantial. I think a majority of the people who voted for the Democrats in this last election are horrified when they learn of some of the things they're doing. Coercion, though, is is a complicated business and subtle. And so when the Archdiocese of Philadelphia is forced out of the foster care business because the Catholic Church will not allow um, same-sex couples to be in their foster care program, they, they lo- the city loses, the church loses, the children lose. But the ideology wins. And that is what's before the Supreme Court, whether they can do that. And the Archdiocese is prosecuting it because of the Archbishop who retired. And, and I don't know that the next generation of prelates will be as courageous as he has been. That's well, a that's a problem. Well, see, just remember, if uh, yeah, things are very bad. You know, I've been saying for five years we're in the 1850s. This is like 1860 right now. This is you know serious things are underway. You know, with a evenly divided Congress, exactly evenly divided Senate. They're about to pass fundamental, if they can, fundamental legislation affecting how we elect our representatives. And that's the only way we have to controlling them. And that is a thought to pray about on this Good Friday. Uh, and hopefully when we replay it next year, that threat will have passed and not been fulfilled. We'll find out. Dr. Larry Arndt, thank you. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Absolutely, positively need the truth. This is where you turn. This is The Hugh Hewitt Show.